Hello, and welcome to Art Matters at Home, a new arts and culture podcast from Philips. I'm your host, Arnold Lehman. After a half century in the art world, mostly as a museum director in Baltimore and Brooklyn, and five years at Philips as senior advisor, which means someone who is old, knows a lot of people, and isn't shy about voicing opinions, hosting an interview series like this seems like a perfect fit for me. So for each episode, like today's, I'll be at my desk having a socially distanced, at-home conversation with friends from around the world, artists, dealers, museum directors and curators, collectors and critics, to learn from them how and what they are doing and what is on their minds today and for tomorrow. So let's get started with our conversation with my friend, art dealer, Marianne Boski. So great to see you. You too. Thank you for having coffee. coffee. Oh, me too. Me too. (laughs) I like your coffee cup. What does it say on it? Oh, it's a peacock. Oh, how fabulous. That is great. Mine is uh, not quite as ambitious as that. (laughs) I love so, ceramics and pottery, so whenever I see a cool coffee, right? I, <laughs> I know I know that from your friends, the Haas brothers. Yes. The um, so during this period, are you constantly reaching out to everyone? You know, it's been um, a real juggle because yes, reaching out, um, trying to keep everyone connected. So I've sent sort of group emails to all the artists together, which is a first in 25 years. How many are there? Uh, there are 26 or something like that. Wow, yeah, I know. I know that you represent a lot of artists, but 26 is a um, yeah. a big group. So, um, so I've done some of that kind of like group checking in and then, you know, trying to do some one-on-one. But really so much of my time has been on these Zoom conferences with, you know, the bank and the landlord and just managing, you know, SBA grants and understanding what, you know, the lay of the land, which is changing hourly. So a lot of time is being consumed also with um, with the fun part, I guess, if if it's fun, is trying to figure out how to use the technology to put up new, you know, exhibitions online. And so my team were on conference calls all day long and um, just putting together new checklists and, and content to share. So, um, but yeah, I mean, trying to talk, um, I, I just, it's, there's, I, I'm not bored yet, put it that way. <laughs> it's been very busy. So. Well, but you're, I know, um, it's, it's great to be tech savvy and I know that you are. Uh, because so many of your artists also rely on technology in different ways. I have to tell you, starting with me was like starting with a stone block, uh, oh, trying to get me you know, <laughs> integrated with. Um, you are way stuff. ahead of me on so many levels. <laughs> um, I, I thank you for saying that, but I doubt it. I truly doubt it. Um, how far flung are your artists? I mean, they're all over the world, aren't they? Yeah, um, they really are. We have artists all over the country from, you know, New York, Chicago, um, upstate, Los Angeles, um, Oregon, Seattle, uh, and then all over Europe, UK, um, everywhere, pretty much. Yeah, Africa, 
doing a Zoom call on all those different time um, zones must be um, uh, quite an effort just on itself. Actually, that, you know, that, that's been okay because those are the more one-on-ones. If, you know, if it's me and a director and an artist, it's just there's three of us. So, um, and those are easier to coordinate. And it's just, you know, there, it's hard too because there's not a lot of good news to communicate. It's really we're in a suspended state right now with the gallery closed. Um, you know, there was like Serge Alain at Tegeka's show is up and New York Times was supposed to do a profile on him. And, you know, they're still hoping to run it, but it's really on a day-to-day basis. They're trying to figure out, you know, the priority of content right now. And writing about an exhibition and an artist when the show's closed makes it difficult for them. So, um, you know, they keep in check in regularly and apologize that it hasn't happened yet, but it's understandable. So there's just not a lot of, you know, good, positive news to share other than everyone's healthy, thankfully. Um, Their kids are healthy. Their families are healthy. We've been very lucky so far. Um, I do have a couple of friends who uh, have, you know, gotten sick and, um, and that's been really disconcerting and scary. So, uh, and trying not to watch CNN all day long, but, um, it's, you know, it's, it's just, there's new information every day on the virus. And- we become so addicted to making sure that we're uh, keeping pace with the news that yeah. it's hard. Um, we've been shutting it off more and more every day. Um, because just listening to that steady stream, you know, just um, sort of undermines all the good stuff that we could be doing. Even I pray for this one day that I have a chance to read, which so far has eluded me. Um, But it's been, uh, it certainly has been a struggle. The other day someone asked me um, if I'd like to be an artist. And I said, well, I don't have the talent to be an artist, but at this moment in time, I probably would like to be an artist in my studio and have all that chance to concentrate. Um, yeah. But even that probably will drive um, many artists crazy. For those, you know, not all of them can even get to their studios. So, you know, which is difficult. And I mean, I've been trying to, you know, work. I'm a very um, kind of type A person, in case you didn't know that. <laughs> but, I, you know, Marion, I <laughs> would never... In all the years I've known you, <laughs> I would never, never have guessed that. So, I, I, so I what what eluded me all these years? My day is at 6.40 a.m., you know, I make my coffee, and I actually carve out my reading time in the morning. So, and I have been reading for, you know, 45 minutes to an hour in the morning. Um, and sometimes it's, it's news, sometimes it's fiction, sometimes it's nonfiction, um, but something that just, like, clears my mind while I drink my coffee. And then at around 7.40, my daughter is up because now she's doing you know, online school, which is very weird. Um, It's nice to have the proximity with her. What grade is she in? She's in 10th grade. Oh, well, at least she's a self-starter. It's been amazing. Yeah, she's um, really impressive. So are her friends. They're all really taking this in stride. And it's, you know, it's a shock to all of us. We'll look back on this as one of the strangest moments of all of our lives, for sure. But at the same time, there's also, like, there's so many silver linings and gifts in it. The idea that I'm trapped with my daughter for all these 
these weeks is such a beautiful thing for me that I can just go in the next room and she's right there. So I feel really lucky. Totally. So, um, you know, there's, there's, there are pros and cons to it, but I think it's a lot, it's the unknowns that are so frightening for everybody. We just don't, we don't know when it's going to end. We don't know how long it's going to, you know, how severe it's going to get. And, um, and what all the implications are going to be. So, I mean, I know it's already been extremely taxing on the kids. It's been extremely taxing on everyone's staffs, you know, with having, you know, furloughing and reducing overhead and trying to just get through this period so that we have a, a gallery to come back to um, is a challenge. So, but everyone's, everyone's pitching in. I have to say, you know, the artists have been amazing. They check in, um, they're constructive and positive. Nobody has been, you know, the staff too, no one's been remotely whiny or whiny. Everyone is in it together. So, and that's amazing. Well, you know, you've weathered a lot in what has it been almost 25 years with a gallery. Um, am I right? Something like 25 yeah, years. It's exactly 25 years. Oh, well, that's pretty good. I couldn't remember. Yeah. You, I remember one thing. You, you opened the gallery a year or two before I came to Brooklyn. And that was in yeah. 1997. Yeah. So exactly right. um, it must have been just a short time before that. Yeah, I was working out of my apartment in 1995 while I was practicing law the first year out of law school and then um, realized I had, you know, made a little bit more money selling my friend's art <laughs> than I did at the ACLU where I was practicing, which was amazing. Um, and I ended up taking a space in 90s, end of 96 um, on Green Street and kind of growing from there. So yeah, it's been 25 years, which is crazy. So we've gone through 9-11. We've gone through, you know, the 2008 crash. We went through 2012 Hurricane Sandy, which for West Chelsea was devastating. Right. So there've been a lot of ups and downs and challenges. Each one sort of, oh my God, I've never seen anything like this. <laughs> um, and so. 9-11, uh, because we were living in downtown Brooklyn, and 9-11 for you being downtown I lived had some similarities because you had to close you couldn't go below 14th Street. Um, it was just, uh, you know, it was it was horrifying, and yeah. we always we kept saying, "Oh my God, you know, I just hope everyone survives all of this." Um, yeah. And the difference with that one was that uh, you know we were closed for a period of time. I mean, on 24th Street, we could go to work, and when people were sort of over the shell shock of that terrorism, um, we could at least convene and be together physically. Right. right. So this, what's so disconcerting about this one, and thank God for technology at this point too, as much as I curse it most days, um, the the dis the physical disconnection is is the shock to the system, and I think it's what's making people feel extremely vulnerable and uncomfortable. So it's it certainly is. The, I must say that I, I always joke with my wife that the best thing that happened to us out of 9-11 is we discovered a secret way to get from Brooklyn through Queens onto uh, the Queensboro Bridge and into Manhattan. Really? Are you going to share that secret? No, <laughs> because the, the Brooklyn Bridge was closed. The Manhattan Bridge was closed. The Williamsburg Bridge was closed. 
Um, no one in their right mind would take a tunnel. Did it involve like a paddle? <laughs> no, it's um, um, and this this secret way is it's more used than it was years ago, um, but um, it's still quite amazing. So I'm not sharing because who knows how many thousands of people are listening to us. And <laughs> The lineup to get in to get into Manhattan that secret way would just be blown. I'm sure. Yeah, true, true. All right. Well, tell me your prediction of what is art going to look like after this, <sighs> and what is the art world going to look like after this? Yeah, you know, it's so hard to say. Um, we did a sh exhibition at the museum um, shortly after 9/11 and invited. I don't know. 30 artists to participate. And uh, I was concerned that it was going to be um, incredibly sad. Um, yeah. The best word I could use to describe it. But it wasn't. Um, a lot of it was um, more technological than many of the artists had, or at least using technology in ways that they've never used before. Mm -hmm. uh, so that was one change. The other was focusing very much on their surroundings. When some of the artists um, had really been studio artists, I mean, they looked at their easel every day, but now they were looking at their neighborhoods. And I thought that was perhaps the most positive um, response. Um, yeah. And it was, it drew a lot of people. I think they were, most people who saw the show felt good coming out of it. And right. um, we actually, I, if I remember correctly, we kept it up longer than we had anticipated. Yeah. Um, but in terms of art, the one thing I remember more than anything else is the very next day, uh, when every, almost everyone in the city was closed, we opened the museum because we thought that this is the moment for art. Yeah. And uh, the museum was filled with people, absolutely filled. I think that's going to be the big change this round is that people are going to appreciate their screens, um, but also have tired of them. And I think there's going to be a real craving for you know, in-person engagement. I think the galleries, my hope is that people are gonna come and museums too, there's, and the museums are crowded, people go, but you know, because of the art fairs, so much has happened there instead of in the galleries over the last several years. And I think, and I hope that there's just gonna be this like craving again for one-on-one -on -one engagement with art and with other humans. So as opposed to just being in a sea moving through an art fair, you can actually go to exhibitions, walk around, have a conversation again. I mean, that's what it was like in 96 when we opened, especially like a Saturday in, in Lower Soho. You know, you could predict which, you know, 25 people you were going to need to carve out some time for and really sit with and chat. Um, it was, it was, I, I agree with you. And I really, really pray that that's what's going to happen. I hope so too. You know, I learned so much more about contemporary art from dealers than I learned from 
anyone else except from the artists themselves. Well, for sure, yeah. Much more than you could ever learn from um, even the best books. The best. Often we're in their studios before the curators and and you know critics can even get there or identify it. So we un we're in their minds. We can communicate what they're thinking and then you can actually take the scholarship forward with it. You can do something different than the dealers can, but we at least are in there early and before and, and gathering information so that we can disseminate it to the, the, you know, the best minds in our community. Well, I, I certainly hope it goes back to that because the galleries, you know, in, this ecosystem that's been built over these many years is dependent on the legs of this many-legged stool and the yeah. galleries are critical components of that and you know i know a lot of people who just have not gone to galleries recently they go to fairs right. um and then they complain about the fairs Right. Uh, but they still go. And my response to all of them is, you want to see this art that the galleries are showing? Go there anytime during the week. You have a private view. You can speak to the dealers. Once in a long while, the artist might even be there. And you can really think about what you are looking at instead of being pushed and shoved and people rushing around and... Um, I'm not saying the art fairs are, you know, a bad thing, but what's really important is to have that one-on-one -on -one with the work of art and the person yeah. knows that well, most. And I think also the acquisition should be the last step, you know, not the first step. It should be the last step of the process, you know, after getting to know what you're looking at, having it impact you in some way, maybe meeting the artist, looking at a lot of the work and then choosing what to buy and then bringing it home as opposed to it's gotten backwards somehow people grab the name that they hear and then they learn about it afterwards so yeah, it's, li it's like <laughs> it's sort of like a sale at a supermarket you know if i don't get if i don't get that prime steak for 450 today i'm right. never gonna get it right. again um doesn't matter if I like steak or not, but it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it is backwards to say the least yeah, a little bit. So I think that that will be helpful, um, that people hopefully will get back to more of an analog life together. For sure. I do want to ask you a question about Aspen. Yeah. Um, because you, um, are one of the very few people who have really helped to create um, a big community out there of um, um, artists, collectors. I should give it more credit than I deserve because it, well, But you've been there and doing this a long time. I've been going there my whole life and in the last 10 years I just really realized how many incredibly um, intelligent, interesting, engaged people are landing in that community. Um, who are not just there for the sport, and which is incredible, the hiking and fishing and skiing and biking and all of that, which, you know, I loved when I, I would go there for vacation because that's 
where I want to be is in those mountains. And over time, you know, between the Aspen Institute, the music festival, the museum, the Anderson Ranch, all of these incredible com um, community resources were starting to build and grow and build and grow because the people who were landing there were realizing what an incredible opportunity they had to spend time there and engage. And so you have, you know, scientists and research centers and so many resources there now. And so having a gallery there was my, um, it was a bit of an indulgence because it was an excuse for me to be able to be there more and for me to be able to invite artists um, to come and spend some time there and to have an experience in the mountains like that. And also have an experience with some of the top collectors in the universe who have second, third, fourth homes there. And when people are there, they are in shorts and t-shirts and in a completely different mindset than any city, you know, especially New York. I mean, my clients, my New York clients who I see in Aspen, I see in Aspen, you know, either barefoot in front of a fireplace with, you know, dinner or skiing on a mountain or hiking in shorts. And it's a different dynamic completely. When they're in New York, if I even see them at all in the gallery, it's a, you know, a 30 second runaround because they're trying to get to all the galleries they need to see on a given day. So it just, it really provides um, a chance to spend time with people and um, in a different way than New York. So I love it. How do you um, kind of um, divvy up your time between New York and Aspen. Yeah, I, you know, I wish that but right now um, it's very much my daughter's in 10th grade. She's here at school in New York. So, you know, we try to, we, we're spending Christmas and spring break there anyway. So we continue to do that. Um, in the summertime, she was going to um, sleepaway camp, so which has now ended. But that's what also helped give me the idea to do this. I'd never spent time in Aspen in the summer. I was a winter girl. And when she went to um, sleepaway camp and my husband and I separated, I thought, mm, you know, I'm not going to go to my normal place in the summertime. <clears throat> it might be a little sad. I want to try something different. So since I had a place in Aspen, it made sense to just go there. I wasn't going to go spend money on some other vacation. I have this beautiful place. And I was blown away by Aspen in the summer. And I realized how many more people even were there and how much more outside and engaged they were. So I started spending three or four weeks of the summertime there while my daughter was at camp. And she's, camp has ended now. Um, and so this summer will be the first time we have to figure out, you know, she's doing, you know, some math program here. And then she'll probably, uh, I don't know exactly what, but I'm still going to get my Aspen time. I need it. So the summer in Aspen, I'll, I'll try to get four weeks total there if I can, um, is just spectacular. So, uh, and I'm, I wouldn't have discovered that uh, otherwise. Everyone has always said to me that the most beautiful time of the year in Aspen is the summer. And it that is. it's always, from years past, um, it's always sort of been sold short. Uh, but I don't think that's true anymore. You know, and also when you think about the Ideas Festival, you know, that's hosted by the Institute, um, you know, the last couple of summers you've had Klaus Biesenbach in Aspen and Hans Ulrich Obrist and, you know, Helen Molesworth is our in-resident curator at um, Anderson Ranch. You have really incredible minds. Franklin Sermons I saw last summer and artists are invited to speak. And so there's a community that just kind of is constantly flowing in and out of there. 
Um, and because the art world is, is global, that we all kind of know each other, um, if somebody lands in Aspen and they haven't been there before, they already know the 30 people that are there and they connect immediately. So you have an opportunity to spend time with people that you wouldn't otherwise. If they came to New York, they have 3,000 people to talk to, but they're going to Aspen and they're giving a talk at the Institute. There's 30 of us, you know, and we're all there and our, we're, our doors are open. So it's, it's a beautiful thing. It's, it certainly sounds like a Mecca. One of these days. You should come this summer. Now, if I get an invitation like that all the time from all the people I talk to, I mean, uh, <laughs> I'm going to have an incredible schedule. The, yeah. um, but I really want to do that one day. And, you know, I know that as long as we don't take time away from our main stay in both in both meanings of that word, um, we're going to do it because we've talked about it. And, um, well, and if you are going to do it, actually, if anyone who's on here, who's listening, who's on the, you know, the board of the Aspen Institute and the ideas festival, invite Arnold Lehman to come <laughs> and speak. <laughs> I will house him with pleasure. Well, my um, God, there you, there you, there you go. So yep. one last thing, what's the, if there is one, and I know you have so many, what's the big project that's coming up um, towards the end of this year, beginning of 21, pretty much when everything is back in order, we certainly oh, it, it, You know, it shouldn't be so easy for me to have that clear in my head, but it is. <laughs> so um, for any of my artists that are listening, all of you matter equally. But no question, no question. <laughs> right now, Art Production Fund and Casey Fremont um, is sponsoring a project with Sanford Biggers at Rockefeller Center. And wow. It is going to be an enormous 30-foot sculpture um, that is the most ambitious thing he's made to date. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be incredible. And we were in the process of producing it um, and had signed the contracts and, you know, we're in the fundraising stages and all of that when this all happened. So supposed to be September 2020, which is soon. And so as of this week, <clears throat> we've all had to agree and we're still sort of figuring out with Rockefeller Center new dates, but I believe it'll probably be, have to be pushed to 2021, if not very late into 2020. And, you know, we don't want to do it in the winter because it's a sculpture that we really want people to engage with. And then also Sanford's going to do a performance with Moon Medicine in the Channel Gardens at Rock Center mm -hmm. as part of the opening or closing, depending on the dates. And that involves many musicians and, you know, film, video, and it, like it'll be a, a spectacle of uh, incredible genius. So that's the big project. And the last time I did a Rock Center project, um, you might remember, it was 2003, was with Takashi Murakami. And, oh, I remember you know, very. I remember very well. Yeah. So, for all the people who might be watching here, I actually did represent Murakami for ten and a half years, and I think you know ten and a half really important years. And we did that project. Um, people have very short memories in the art world, so um, <laughs> I've had you know new clients who have um, very sophisticated and expensive collections ask me you know if I know Nara or I know Murakami. And yeah, right. Yes, I do. Right. <laughs> Oh, yeah, very, and you see Scavage very well. Sarah Z, very well. So these are yeah. artists that I really lived with for the first decade, decade and a half of my career. Um, and that that was a, a major moment for me in 2003, um, Rock Center. And um, 
Jerry Spire was still in charge at Rock Center. Now his son Rob is. Um, Jerry was amazingly supportive, and that project nearly killed me. It nearly, you know, broke me. But um, it was one of like my favorite achievements. So but you also you know. gave joy um, uh, with Takashi to a lot of yeah. people, a lot of people, and. Um, but I, having done, as you recall, that big Murakami um, yes. show at the museum, you know I, the know, I know what you mean by <laughs> almost uh, being killed by uh, something that you adore. You, me, Paul Schimmel, there's only a handful of people, Tim and Jeff, Emmanuel, there's a handful of people who understand. Right, Alexander exactly. <laughs> well, I am so... Thrill. I didn't know about the project with Sanford, who is a good friend and someone who I admire immensely um, and with whom we also did a show a long time ago. Um, it hasn't been um, announced yet. That's why you don't know it yet, because all of a sudden we weren't sure what well, the you dates just, were You just announced it just if you didn't realize it. It is happening. <laughs> uh, so... Um, um, everyone who is watching this online, you didn't hear a thing. You don't know anything about this. Keep it a secret. We'll all be surprised. Um, it oh really no. is was I supposed to keep that a secret at this point? I mean, September, I guess, maybe because it was postponed. I might be in trouble. Marianne, we will all, <laughs> all sure. thousands of people will keep your secret. And... Um, <laughs> and be very surprised when it opens. Mm. But I have to tell you, I'm really, really proud of Sanford and thank you for giving us something so terrific to look forward to. Well, and just as an additional plug for Sanford, he was supposed to have one of the busiest seasons of his career. So the Bronx Museum solo show is supposed to open uh, this month, um, which was gonna travel. He was also doing sets for um, uh, an opera in Los Angeles, um, Antebellum, which is a new movie that's coming out. He has, um, helped with, uh, sort of, you know, the, the, um, I can't remember art, like an art directing kind of support roles so there. He's got so many things happening right now. We were supposed to have a solo show. Sanford could be the star of that movie. He could be yeah, in really. front of the camera instead of on the <laughs> other side of the camera. Well, when you see Antebellum, you'll hope you'll be glad he's not. <laughs> <laughs> One of the most wonderful things that we have at the museum, and that makes me almost tear up every time we show it, is Sanford's bitter fruit. Um, it's one of the greatest things among many great things that he's produced. So. Marianne, this has been great. How many more hours could we talk for? I think you know, a lot. I'm available. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so am I. Um, <laughs> we could, oh, I can just imagine this. Instead of inviting someone to do 30 minutes, the next time I think I'll, how about a week? Yeah, exactly. exactly. With a few personal breaks. Yeah. That's the next, that's <laughs> the next. Thank you so much. Right. Thank and, you, thank uh, you. Stay well, be well, and I keep saying, don't stay talk safe, to stay don't home. talk to strangers. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Thank you right. very much. Bye bye. Bye. That was my great friend and art dealer Marianne Boski. 
I hope you will join us for my next episode of Art Matters at Home when artist Ai Weiwei will be with us.